Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. Who's excited that LeBron's coming home? Yeah, lots of fun. Love it. Well, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get to work with our adults at Grace, and I love what I get to do here. It's a blast to be a part of Grace Church, isn't it? Isn't it fun to be a part of what God's doing here? I love it. And uh, today what we're going to be doing is we're starting a brand new series called With the End in Mind. I am very excited about this series, and really what it's all about is wisdom. And uh, what we know is this, is that kind of as a general rule, that if we're going to be people of wisdom, we got to look out a little bit, look into the future, and maybe where we want to head or where we want to end up, or maybe what's coming down the line, and we have to align our energy and our resources towards those ends if we're going to be people that kind of aim our lives. We want to do that on purpose. But that picture is incomplete unless we start to pull in kind of the perspective that Jesus gives us of the future. If if we're followers of Jesus or people that study the Bible and, and start to know what Jesus says about the future, we start to have to put that into the equation if we're going to look at our lives. Otherwise, it's very incomplete. So one of the things that Jesus says about the end times is that everything really as we know it will cease, that this world is going to change fundamentally, and that everything that we count on as being normal and real and things that we consider kind of life as usual will not always be that way. And we need to look at that perspective and start to get our hearts and minds around how do we live with the end in mind? How do I align my life towards the reality that this life isn't always going to be here? How do we do that? How do we be people of wisdom kind of in light of eternity? So that's what we're going to be diving into. I'm very excited about it because I really believe that if we actually get a hold of this stuff, it has unbelievable potential to change our lives and really help us live kind of above the everyday grind of life and have an eternal perspective giving our lives unbelievable significance. So lots of fun stuff to look at. But what I want to do is begin to dig into how I think we tend to approach life in general and uh, in general, I think what we do is, you know, here's kind of me, uh, evidently, you know, I do a split all the time. Not sure what that's all about. Uh, I love whiteboards. I'm not that good at art. So you kind of have to take the whole package with it. So, right. Well, here's us. And what we tend to do is we tend to look towards whatever the next wall is that we can't see past. Right? So if I'm a high school student, I'm like looking towards graduation and saying it's a little bit hard for me to imagine what's life going to be like past high school. Right? This is kind of the stage of life that I'm in. I'm, in. I'm a student right now, and maybe life really begins once I get over that wall, but I'm not really sure what it's going to be, and I know I'm in, there's some pain involved in the stage of life that I'm in, and it's going to end as soon as that wall is cleared. Right? If I'm a college student, it's the same way. Right? And there's hopes and dreams and promise. And in some ways, it almost feels like life really begins after we get through this next wall. Isn't that how it works? You know, like if I'm, if I'm going to college, I'm saying, man, I'm really going to be a grown-up and a bunch of stuff's really going to fire up in my life once I get through this next stage. You know, may, maybe my life right now, I'm looking for a, a spouse, kind of a partner in life. You know what I'm saying? I want to dream about the future, but I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, and that's not going to get clear for me until I find my partner in life. You know, I want to find my husband or wife, and then we can kind of build that future together. But, it, but until that locks in, until that happens, I don't really know what it's all going to look like. You know, may, maybe you're engaged right now, and you're looking towards a wedding date. 
And you're saying, well, man, once we get married, then things are really going to kick off, and we just have to get through this part. You ever said that before? I remember uh, when Lori and I were engaged, we were here at Grace Church, and Grace Church was much smaller than it was probably like 150 people, right? We've been married 12 years, and uh, I was a newer believer at the time, and I was actually, uh, I was here, and Pastor Jeff was teaching about the end times, and, and Lori and I were engaged, and we're looking towards marriage, and we were really trying to work hard on the purity thing. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what Jesus says about, about sexual purity and that really you shouldn't have sex until you get married. And so Lori and I liked each other, you know, like a lot, you know, and um, we really wanted to get married quickly. And um, I remember Pastor Jeff teaching about marriage or about, about the end times, about Jesus returning. And he was saying kind of the, one of the main things we need to walk away with is we need to look at the return of Jesus as something that our hearts need to long for more than anything else. You know, more than any hopes and dreams in this life, we got to look towards the return of Jesus. We get to see our Savior face to face. Man, nothing really should give us more joy than that. And I remember hearing that, you know, I'm in this fight for uh, purity and looking towards the marriage date. We, we had that marriage date set June 1st. So we just had our 12-year anniversary. And I remember as a new believer praying, talking to, talking to the Lord about that. And I was like, Lord, I'm really excited for Jesus to come back. You know, I'm really pumped about that. I, I just have one request, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, would you wait until June 2nd? Can we get through that one night? Yeah, I would be pretty fired up about that. Yes, I was. And Jesus granted that very early prayer, very selfish prayer. I love it. That is, tends to be how we are. We're like, Lord, just let, let me get the, the hope and the peace and the promise that I'm looking for in this next stage. Maybe it's having kids. Maybe, uh, maybe you got kids at home and it's moms, maybe you're at home try, trying to see that five or six-year-old get them all to school and you're like, I can get some of my life back then. Right? Whatever it is, whatever stage of life we're in, we're kind of trapped by that wall we can't see past and it's difficult to get perspective beyond it. It could be finding the next job or getting the next promotion. It could be seeing our nest get emptied out. Or maybe you're a person that, that really likes to look long-term and you say, boy, I, I want the me today to, to be uh, glad later, right? That I make good decisions and I set myself up for success later. I'm going to look towards retirement and I want the end of my days to be better than my current days. And so I'm going to save and invest and leverage a bunch of resources kind of towards that end. This can happen on a macro level, it can happen on a micro level, it, it can happen just kind of getting through the week or getting to the next rest stop. Uh, I tend to do this, sometimes I struggle with this in vacation mode. We went to Disney uh, last year and we made a terrible mistake. This whole, um, not in going to Disney, but in learning a little bit about how Disney works. You guys ever go to Disney and start to look online about Disney? Disney is like, there's, the Disney fans are like a cult, Right? They're like, here's one billion ways on how to make your Disney experience unbelievable, right? as if it's not unbelievable as it is. And well, we grabbed one of these tips, terrible idea. We made this countdown calendar, and it was just too long, man. It was, I think it was 90 days. And um, it, it, we just started it too early, you know, kind of saying, oh, it's going to be fun. We're going to grab the kids and kind of look forward to this vacation with them. And so the first couple days, it was great. You know, we're like scratching off, like, hey, yeah, kids, we're going to get closer as we count down the days. Look, we're going to go to Disney. It's going to be fantastic. Lots of fun. 
you know, and then a couple more days go by, you know, and a couple weeks go by, and then life gets hard and the pressure gets hard, and the kids are asking every day, Dad, when are we going to Disney? How many more days? You know, and, and Lori and I start to feel the pressure, things heat up a little bit in life, and you're like, honey, just hold on till vacation, 57 more days, we can make it. You guys ever do that? It's a little embarrassing, but we were totally, we're like, we want to live our whole lives for that one week of relief, you know? We do this every week, living for the weekend. This week, it was living to find out where LeBron James would land. <laughs> no one could even function until that question was answered. It's amazing. This happens on all kinds of levels. This happens on, on big levels and small levels, and I think in general, we tend to expect that life is going to roll out the way that kind of most people's lives roll out. We know it's possible, you know, to, to get sick or to have a tragedy or have something undo the normalcy of life. But otherwise, man, we just kind of live here in our heart and our resources, our time and our attention are going to go to whatever stage of life that we're really in, living for the promise that that kind of next wall is going to bring us, getting through this next stage. Now, something happens here where Jesus is going to really explode our perspective of life. He's, he's going to bring us a, a set of realities, and he's going to say basically this, that there is a day coming when I am going to return. There's a series of events surrounding this return, and everything that we consider to be normal is going to change. And I want you to know that if you're my Christ, if you're a follower of mine, I want you to have the heads up that this is going to happen. And so he's going to explain this to his disciples. We're going to look at this in a minute here and talk about some of these events that played out. But I just want to, to look at this because even the disciples, even the people that were around Jesus in his time, I think they lived the same way. You know, they maybe didn't have college degrees to chase or whatever, but, but they're looking towards harvest. You know, they're farmers. Or they're looking towards the next stage, just like we would. You know, and they're going to hear Jesus' words in a very similar way that we would hear them. So we're going to take a look at this in Matthew chapter 24. You're going to want to really look at your, your Bible if you have one with you. If you don't, grab one from underneath the chairs there. You can jump on version and follow along. And uh, we're going to walk through a bit of what Jesus has to say about the end. And what he's going to show us is that our expectations for life have to change. They have to include this information that Jesus is sharing with us here. And what I want to do here uh, for the next handful of minutes is walk us through really seven words that describe what the end's going to be like. So if you've been around the church or maybe you've watched TV where people have talked about this section of scripture we call prophecy, right, looking into the future, it's very common for Bible teachers or preachers to, to put out a timeline or, or speculate deeply about how exactly it's going to look and maybe this guy's going to be the antichrist and maybe you know, there, there's a set of events that's going to happen just like this. A lot of that uh, is potentially okay. What I want to do for the sake of our conversation is I want to lock into these seven words that you can stand on for sure and you can know that these will describe precisely what it's going to be like at the end. 
We don't know all of the details. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we can have confidence in these descriptors of the end. So let's dive into it and begin to look. Matthew chapter 24, we'll begin our discovery, discovery of these seven descriptors. Uh, verse one, Jesus is nearing the end of his life and his ministry here on earth. It says this, that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. They're in Jerusalem looking at the temples. This would have been the centerpiece that all of his disciples really would have, have built their, their faith and in, in, in their religious life around. And they, would have, they said, Jesus said, hey, look at these buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Uh, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Its buildings will come apart. All that you see will change. This would have blown their minds in many ways. As Jesus was sitting here, verse three, as Jesus was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Their curiosity is piqued. They say this, tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Let me give some context to this. Here's what's the disciples are asking, see, in the Bible, here's how it tends to work, that there's an age that we're currently living in, and then there's an age to come, right? This kind of goes into infinity off the whiteboard, into no man's land, right? This is kind of heaven and everything that we look forward to. And, and they're going to say, when is this going to happen? When are we going to make the transition from this age into the future age When's that going to play out? And they would have had that as part of their expectation for life. They would have known as first century Jews that this age would come to a cataclysmic close and that there would be a person, the Messiah, that would help transition and usher that age to a close and the, kind of begin the next one, the age to come. They have all that in the back of their mind. Jesus hasn't died or been resurrected yet, so they don't understand all the exacts of it. They just know that Jesus said he would go away and that he would come back. They're gonna ask that. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus begins to answer. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. We're going to see a theme run through kind of the, the teaching that Jesus gives us. I want us to begin to think this way. The things that Jesus are describing to us, they're not potential. They're not theory. The things that Jesus is talking to us about are inevitabilities. They are going to happen. He says these things must happen. He says, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains, that's the first thing we're gonna see. It's our first word here that describes the end. The picture that we have of the end is that it's like labor. It's like labor. If you're a note taker, you wanna jot down here this first word. The end is like labor, if you want to get a good parallel of what the coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus is going to be like, look at child labor, pregnancy, and as a woman draws near at the end of her term and go, gets close to giving birth to a child, that last segment is very much like the return of Jesus. We have four kids, and I really learned a lot about the second coming, uh, kind of watching my wife go through this, believe it or not. It's fantastic. Yeah, what I learned about labor is that the last three weeks of labor, 
last forever. It's amazing. The, uh, Lori got so uncomfortable, and, and you just start to wait. You're on pins and needles wondering when exactly it's going to happen. And, and here's how labor works, right? And here's how uh, the return of Jesus works, is that there's these signs that you can begin to look for. Right? I'm kind of a control freak, so I, I want to help and I want to kind of be in the process with Lori, and I want to know exactly what's going to happen. So as, as Lori's kind of nearing the end of her term, I did this with all four of our children, which is ridiculous. I would begin to see the signs and start to track them. You know, I'd start to write down the contractions and the numbers, and, and be like, all right, honey, every eight minutes, who is Braxton Hicks anyway? Right? I'd start to really understand what's happening and learn all the signs, and I'd Google 55 websites to try to learn everything I can know about all the signs of labor to try to predict exactly when it's going to happen. I've got issues, man. <laughs> it's real. And um, what I found was so incredibly frustrating as I Google all these, you know, here's the eight signs of labor. I would read them, and they'd be like, oh, if this sign shows up, you could go into labor in the next five minutes, or it could be three weeks from now. How is that helpful? That helps no one, right? So that's, it's exactly how it is with uh, the return of Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, as these signs start to show up, you know that it could happen anytime or it could be later, right? It's like labor. It, it's just a great picture to have in your mind. And if you've been through that before or watched friends or family go through it, you have a great illustration uh, of what the end's going to be like. Jesus says all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, it's kind of the, the early parts. It's Braxton Hicks. It's the initial signs of the coming of Jesus. Verse 9 transition to the next section here. Jesus says this, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. The end is like labor, the end is also polarizing. It's polarizing. One of the things that we see is that Jesus would tell us that as, as we draw near to the end, human beings as a people and as a group, when faced with a decision to be loving or to be selfish and increase, kind of grab wickedness and embrace it, that humanity will trend more and more and more towards wickedness, right? towards selfishness. I, again, I want us to see this isn't something that's potential. This is going to happen, and probably if you're a student of culture, you can see it even now, that, that it's even current, that there's an increase of wickedness and selfishness, a lack of concern about future generations or about my neighbors and friends, and it becomes more and more about me at any cost the problem that Jesus is pointing out and why polarizing is our word is when increase of wickedness plays out as people continue to choose self more and more and more, there's a problem with that because as I insert the gospel, the message of Jesus, into a situation where there's wickedness, something happens. The Bible talks about the gospel as light. And when the gospel's inserted into a situation where people are choosing wickedness over and over again, the gospel sheds light onto the darkness of hearts. When that 
evil motivation of wickedness is exposed, the people who are choosing wickedness don't like that. It hurts. Nobody wants to be a wicked person. So when the wickedness that they've chosen is exposed, the response from the wicked is they want to make the gospel go away. They want to make the light shut off. The people that carry the gospel are those people. So what happens is the wicked will persecute the godly, the carriers of the gospel. And those who are deeply committed to Jesus, the carriers of the gospel will be moved to one pole and those who are increasers of wickedness will be moved to another pole. There will be a very small middle. What I really believe based on Jesus' teaching here in, in verse 14, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to them and then the end will come that some of the strongest, most dedicated followers of Jesus will show up at the end. People that will look at the sacrifice of Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're willing to die for me, I'm willing to bring your hope and your message to the ends of the earth as you've called me to do. I'll give my life for you. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And those who are committed will, will, will remain and those who hate Jesus and his message will begin to move apart, polarizing the group of people with little middle left. I want to point out one piece before we move on in verse 10. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. Again, not, not a potential. This is an inevitability. Folks who, like you and I, listen to the teaching of Jesus sat in church, embraced a level of faith, will turn away from it. This is important stuff to hear. Because as the increase of wickedness happens, uh, if we're committed to Jesus at a very shallow level, we won't be able to stand firm to the end like Jesus talks about. The folks who make it to this point will have decided beforehand that my life is going to be about Jesus and his kingdom. I'm going to be motivated by his love. And the folks who maybe were just kind of in, in the thick of following Jesus because that's what everybody else was doing, or maybe for selfish motivation, will get sucked away into this increase of wickedness. The world will be polarized by Jesus and by his message. The end will be like labor. The end will be polarizing. Let's look to our next word. We're in verse 21 of Matthew 24. It says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Jump down to 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. See, the next word is catastrophic. It's catastrophic. One of the most sobering things that Jesus says is that as we near the end of the age, we begin to see signs that the creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth itself begin to come apart. It starts to wear out. What the Bible would tell us in other places is that this world, this earth, and everything we know about it will be consumed by fire. 
That's an incredibly sobering reality. Jesus would tell us that there will be great distress in these days, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. If you want to try to get your mind around what this may be like, look back into history at some of what's happened. You'd say, is it going to be worse than World War II and the Holocaust? It's going to be worse than that. Is it going to be worse and more intense than, than genocides that have played out? Yeah, we could go on and on. It's going to be worse than the flood where literally all of the earth uh, was washed away except for eight, it will be more distressing and challenging even than that. Somebody asked me as I was preparing, telling them about this series, a very honest question. They they said, Ryan, are you trying to scare people with this? It's catastrophic. I thought about that. I, I think it's a very sincere and honest question. And in thinking it through this past week, what I realized is um, we're not trying to scare people. If this was theory, or if this was only a potential outcome of the future, then we'd be scaring people. We'd be alarmists, right? We'd be conspiracy theorists. And that, that would be inappropriate. If this is true, and this is reality, and this is what's going to happen, We're not scaring one another. Jesus isn't telling us this to scare us. He's telling us this to warn us. He's telling us this to get our hearts and minds aligned in the right place to be prepared for what is to come. Jump down to the next section, verse 23. It says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Here's Jesus. See, I've told you ahead of time. See his heart in it. I want you to be ready. I'm telling you in advance because I don't want you to miss it. So, So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. The next word we're gonna see here is confusing. Confusing. The end times are going to be confusing. As we near the end, it's even happening now, we start to ask the question, who do we listen to? There's going to be prophets that pop up and teachers that try to influence, and some of them will have incredible power and can even do supernatural things. Pastor Jeff talked about this in our last series. If you missed that series, it's fantastic, called Half of Me is Invisible. He talked about uh, the angelic and demonic, and what we're going to see as this Age closes out, the intensity of spiritual activity will increase as well. And there will be a demonic influence in human beings and false teachers and false prophets will arise and will try to take those who follow Jesus and draw them astray. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, this isn't going to be like obvious, like, oh, that's the bad guy over there. We're going to have to really discern based on the emphasis of this teacher because these people are going to be influential. They're probably going to have money. They're probably going to be able to do unbelievably powerful things that cause people to stand in awe. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand if these folks do not point directly to me and my kingdom, they are not of me. It's going to be a confusing time. And I would say that that confusion is live right now. It's a very confusing time that we can feel and see and say, 
man, who do we listen? Who are the voices that are trustworthy even now? Jesus would prep us here in verse 27 for he says, as folks are claiming to be the Messiah or pointing towards the Messiah, he says this, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, I want you to understand that when I come back, it will be universal. It will be universal. When Jesus came the first time, he came in humility. He came as a baby in a manger in quietness. Few knew about it. And he came as a humble servant, allowed himself to be beaten and killed. When Jesus comes the second time, Jesus will come back. Man, he's going to come back in all of his glory as a king. Everyone will know when Jesus comes back. You won't have to ask. When Christ returns, it will be the most glorious historical event Ever. He will bring his angels with him, and everyone who has ever followed or loved him will be behind him in support, and Jesus will close this age. At that point, there will be no more room to decide if you believe Jesus or not. It's over. For those who have accepted Jesus and loved him and embraced him, those will be rewarded. For those who've rejected Jesus and put him off, rejecting his message, they will become enemies of Jesus and will be judged accordingly. The coming of Jesus will be a global event. It will be crystal clear as to what's happening. Jesus would say, as you see lightning all the way across the sky, you will know of my return. It's going to be universal. Flip over to a fascinating set of verses here in 36. Keep driving it through. We've seen that the end is like labor. It's polarizing. It's catastrophic. It's confusing. It's universal. Now look at verse 36. We're going to see that it's sudden. But about that day or hour, no one knows. So Jesus is actually answering the disciples' question. He's going to say, oh yeah, you wanted to know when this is going to happen. Uh, That day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. He's like, I don't even know this one. Only the Father knows it. And this is absolutely uh, fascinating. He said, if you want to draw a parallel as to what it's going to be like, let me help you with that. I'll give you a picture. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the, the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, the other will be left. It will be sudden. Jesus is saying is, man, in the days of Noah, everybody was just living life, you know? Everybody's chasing stuff. They're living for their next wall. They're getting married. They're, they're building business. They're, they're focused on their next thing. And then out of nowhere, the flood starts. Noah's over there, the crazy guy building the boat. Everybody else is living life, thinking that this is never going to come to be. Noah's just, he's some crazy guy over there building the boat, you know? The end is near, whatever. And we're living life, and then all of a sudden, man, the rain hits. 
Noah enters the ark and it's done, Jesus would look and say, that's how it's going to be when I come back. People are just going to be living life, man. Just doing stuff. You might even feel like that now. You're like, Ryan, it's an... It's a nice weekend in July. LeBron's coming back. Can we just take it easy? You know? It's a little heavy. As if this is true, let's just, let's just accept that maybe this is true, even if you don't believe any of this. Let's pretend for a minute that this is true. If this is real and if this is a possibility, we have to begin to look at our lives differently because if this is true, it changes everything changes everything. And it will happen suddenly. And we're going to see our next word. It's going to be unexpected. Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about how this is going to look. Look in verse 42. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. And would not have let his house be broken into. How this works in the first century is there's no, uh, there's no police department, right? There's no cruiser that can run up and down your street and monitor for thieves. So if you want to protect home, man, you got to keep watch. you got to keep guard. And if there's a thief running through the village, uh, you got to stay up all night to protect it if, if you don't want your house to get robbed. Jesus would look and say, you got to be like that guy. Vigilant. Focused. Awake. Alert, tuned in. This last verse is critical. It says, so you also, I want you to underline these three words if you have a physical Bible. It, you also must be ready. You must be ready. At the end of the day, what Jesus says is, well, we have to be ready it says, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. It's the last of our seven words. It's going to be unexpected. It's not only sudden, it's also unexpected. Guys, here's the thing. We could talk about timelines and speculate about who's the Antichrist and exactly what's going to happen when. Some of you are like, but isn't the rapture going to happen here? I think it's fine to talk about. It's not the central burden of why Jesus is communicating what he's communicating, okay? Jesus didn't tell us about the end so we could focus on the circumstances of how exactly it's going to happen. He told us about the end so we could get our hearts ready for it to actually happen. That's actually the part that we can do is we can look at this end with, with the end in mind and we can drive that all the way back here And this begins to change the way that we live. We begin to get above the rat race of chasing down walls and we begin to live for Jesus and his kingdom. At the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to matter. We could talk all day long about timelines and charts and and is the next president going to be the Antichrist and it's all fascinating. It really is. It's fascinating stuff. But we best not get so lost in the details of speculation that we miss the central thrust of what Jesus is saying is, man, I got to be ready for this. I still have to walk through life. I'm still going to get a job and pay the bills and do life and raise my kids. It's all still got to happen. But it completely changes 
when I begin to look at this and say, what's all that's going to matter at the end of the day are the things that are connected to Jesus and his kingdom. Let me tell you this, every material good will burn at the end of time. Guys, that fact is mind-blowing. Our grass will not make it through the end of the age. It's fine, it's great, let's mow it, let's do that. Our houses, our cars, our pursuits, none of it's gonna make it, guys, and everything that feels like a really big deal, most of it will not feel like it matters at all when Jesus shows up. So interesting. A friend, they, they invited me to a, a baseball game, an Indians game this week, and it was awesome. I loved being there. I don't go to many games, and my wife and I went to this Indians game, and I had all this stuff in my mind. You know, it's all in the back of my head. So I'm sitting there on a weeknight, you know, and, and there's thousands of people in a huge stadium sacrificing time and money and staying up late. You know, we're not getting home till 11, 11.30 on a weeknight. And we're all watching this patch of grass, you know, with adult men um, that, that have a, a bat in their hand that are swinging at a ball, man, that's cruising. It's going fast. And they're trying to knock it out of the park, right? That's what we're, we're watching baseball. I'm thinking to myself, this is really interesting that we're all doing this right now. And it's fun. Like, I totally loved it. I thought it was awesome. And I thought to myself, if one of those baseball players, man, if they came out of the field and they came up to my seat, and, and if, if I had a piece of paper in my hand and I had a pencil and I gave them that pencil, right, and I said, would you write your name on this piece of paper? I would be so excited about it. Because I got that guy to scribble his signature in lead on my piece of paper. Because you know, it would be worth thousands of dollars the second he did that. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's another human being, and I really want that scribble on my paper. I want to own that. Guys, when I like baseball, I like LeBron, I like sport. It's fine. It's all good. But we just have to keep in mind that if we had a signature from the most prominent athlete or celebrity on the planet when Jesus shows up, this piece of paper will be worth absolutely nothing. Not, I mean, it won't be worth anything. It won't be worth the paper it's written on. The only name that will matter when Jesus comes back is the name of Jesus. That's it. That's, see how that starts to mess with our view of life and, and the stuff that we all tend to value and think is so important I don't know, I'm not sure it's going to matter at all. When Jesus comes back, man, if you never got married, Jesus isn't going to look at you and be like, man, you never got married. That's lame. <laughs> He's not going to do that. What he is going to do is say, did you take your singleness and honor me with it? If you got married, Jesus is going to look at you and say, hey, good job, you got married, you found somebody. He's going to look and say, did you honor me with your marriage? In, in your role as husband and wife. See, it's not really these walls that matter so much in accomplishing them. It's who I am on the way. It's the character. As I work towards graduation, am I the kind of student that loves Jesus and works towards the end of pleasing Jesus with my schoolwork and shares my faith with my friends and my coworkers? 
Am I focused on the kingdom? Is my eye on the end? When I focus on the end, man, I focus on what matters. And let me tell you, as I love you too much to not tell you what's ultimately going to matter at the end of the day. And you say, Ryan, how do we do that right now? How do we start to align our lives? I want to be a person of wisdom and align my life towards the end. I don't want Jesus to show up in me like, uh, I gave myself to a bunch of wood and, and, and steel. I spent thousands of dollars in my heart and energy and burden on things that are going to be on fire. And I don't want us to do that. I don't, I don't want us to put our heart and soul into things that ultimately have very little to no value. As answering that question, how, is what we're going to do the rest of this series. We're going to work through three words over the next three weeks, faith, hope, and love. And these are words the Bible gives us, and they help us to lock into everyday decisions that get us above the walls and focusing on the eternal, and we're going to unpack it. But before we do that, we got to go here. We got to start with the heart. I think we can start that even today. And, and for me, this has been the challenge as I've been working this stuff through. Like Pastor Jeff asked 12 years ago, you know, am I in a place where more than anything else, I long to see my Savior face to face? More than the hopes and dreams. Man, I, I look forward in my life and I think, man, there's stuff I want to do. But... but can I get my heart to a place where seeing Jesus supersedes all of that? Where he's the one that I love the most and he's the one I want to chase down with my life the most. Because at the end of the day, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. I was, you know, even driving here today, I'm thinking, man, Lord, you could come back like right now. Like on my way to church, this could happen. I want to be able to ask myself, if it all ended now, what would be left undealt with? Am I ready to see Jesus? Is my heart and my mind and my life aligned in such a way that if Jesus came back, I would be glad and I wouldn't be shuddering in shame? Guys, we've got to start to ask that stuff. Maybe some of you are here today, maybe for the first time, you're like, really, Ryan, first time at church and you're giving me end of the world? Thanks, bud, <laughs> right? Maybe you're here for the first time and I would just ask you, would you consider that if this is true, we need to take a deeper look at it, if it's possible even? And if you're here and you're saying, I've been coming to grace, or maybe you're here for the first time and you're saying, I... I'm not ready for that end. I don't even know what I want to do with Jesus. What I would tell you is the best thing you can do to get ready for the return of Jesus, get ready for the end, is to look back at his first coming, and what Jesus did for us. Let me just tell you what he did for me. So I'm a guy that has, uh, has lived a very sinful life. I've done plenty of things that I'm not proud of. I've lied, I've cheated, uh, I've stolen. I've been hurtful to many people. Lots of stuff I'm not proud of. And I know that, and I needed forgiven for my sins, and I still do to this day. Jesus came, and what he did for me is he lived a perfect life. 
And then he willingly gave his life, offered it up on a cross in order to pay for my sins. The stuff that I did, the shameful acts that I committed, Jesus' perfect life and his sacrifice on the cross paid for that. And Jesus offered me an invitation and said, Ryan, if you accept my forgiveness, I'll direct your life, I'll define your life, I'll be your God, and you can become a child of my Father and be part of my kingdom. And in essence, he offers that same invitation to all of us. And let me just tell you, if you've never done that before, if you've never said, Jesus, yes, I want to accept your forgiveness. I want you to be my God. I want to be your follower. There is no decision that you will ever make that will be more important than that. There is nothing more life transforming, nothing more critical, and let me promise you, nothing will matter more on the day that Jesus comes back than that initial decision to follow him and love him with all your heart. Because if you've never done that before, do that. Make that decision Just tell Jesus, I need you. I want your forgiveness. I want your leadership. I want you to be my God, and I want to be your person. Guys, for the rest of us, you know, maybe you're here and you're saying, I know all this stuff. I could lay out the timeline for you and show you all the prophecies. Awesome. That's awesome. It's good. It's great. I'd like us to to walk away and maybe even take a step back before looking at all of the little intricacies of what may happen. More importantly, we got to ask what Jesus is asking. Am I ready? Is my heart ready if Jesus came back today? Would I be excited about that? Would my mind be blown with it? Is this even on my radar? You know, or or have, have I gotten so caught up in chasing down the walls that I've totally lost track of this? And guys, for me, that's kind of where I've been as I've been preparing to talk to you about this. What I saw is I I started to disconnect from this. This is a hard reality to live in, isn't it? It's hard to hold on to this perspective. It's a little bit painful because all of us innately want heaven on earth. Guys, today as we, as we wrap up here, I want us to begin to ask, am I ready for the return of Jesus? Do I long to see him face to face? Do I want him more than anything else? Would you ask the question very simply, am I living with the end in mind? So I'm going to have the band come out. I'm going to pray for us. Let's do some heart work this morning. Over the next few weeks, we'll begin to unpack it, talking about all the how-tos. Jesus, we want to say thank you today for your grace and your mercy on our lives, first and foremost, that you would forgive us for our sins. Thank you that you came in humility, offered yourself as a sacrifice, because, Lord, I need one And Lord, today for myself and my friends, I ask that you would sober us and give us vision that lasts beyond this life. You know, really the grand plan that you have for all of us, Lord, we're built and we're made for eternity. We're made for the age to come. 
Would you help us to begin to get a hold of that today? Lord, if our grip on this life and on this world has become too tight, would you give us the courage to loosen it, to see that what we know and see isn't really what matters? Lord, work on us this morning. Thanks for your forgiveness, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.